you want to open up your Bibles to James chapter 4. And Brock, thank you for leading us into that, for our worship team, for sharing your gift of music. Fourth week of a series called I'm Trying. And really, this series was developed out of the idea, personally, that this is something that I needed to personally hear myself. I think we put a lot of weight on ourselves as human beings, as people. We carry a lot of burdens in life. And in doing so, we try hard to succeed at life, but in the end, we often feel like we're failing. In the last three weeks, we've talked about this idea of I'm trying, and through all of these conversations, my prayer is that we come to the understanding that God, in the end, is the one who makes it happen. James chapter 4, verse 1. Go into a conversation where we'll end with the idea of humility. James chapter 4, verse 1 says these words. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? But he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture said God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Father, as we go into this conversation, God, allow each one of us to just come to a place of analysis an analysis of who we are as your children and start there today. God, we all woke up with breath in our lungs and we give you thanks for that. But at one point during this morning, we probably grew frustrated with ourselves, frustrated with some people around us, and God, we began to fail. God, and I appreciate the scripture that says that we all fall short of your glory. But in the end, there's a gift that you give us. And that gift allows us to see that the trying efforts that we have, as long as we include you, end in your satisfaction of who we are as your creation. And all you ask for us is to try. 
So Father, I'm trying. And I pray that this message today is a reflection of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Question for you. Did you feel God's love this week? I often get thirsty, so I brought enough water up here for the, the entire sermon, so hold on. If you were planning lunch, don't worry. Uh, you don't have to worry about lunch today. We're going a little while today. I'm just joking. But we do have some water up here, which is a representation, I believe, of, of God's love. Remember at the well, the woman um, was asked by Jesus, can you give me a drink? And that conversation led to the idea that Jesus like, if you only knew how much I can give you, how much love I can pour out on you. So today's message, I really want to stick with the keep it simple principle, the KISS principle. Many of you guys know this, and you know some of have read these books you know, that were very popular in the 2000s, keep it simple. Sometimes I go into messages wanting to change everyone, and I look out on the congregation, I just pray that everybody from the message I speak in that moment is changed. And they walk out of that place because the Holy Spirit has just really caught their attention. But I recognize that some of you will fall asleep during this message. I'm fine with that. I'm used to it. Um, But people walking out of this message today, I pray that they will grasp the concept that what I'm trying to say and then put it into practice. The last three weeks, we really tried to boil it down to two ideas. The first week was two minutes of reading the Bible, a little more. If you don't read the Bible on a daily basis, then just try it, two minutes, two minutes a day, and see how that changes you. And then there is the potential of us, in the next week, of just continuing to just allow two things in your life to bring you joy. Those things that you just feel that Maybe those are things I shouldn't be participating in, whatever it is. Just allow God to be in those two things. And last week was the idea of two minutes of silence, just setting your alarm clock for two minutes and just spending two minutes allowing God to pour love onto you. Because we often run into a place where we are half full. You know, I don't know how many people in this place are glass half-empty people. I'm that type of person. I've talked about that before. So in this moment, this glass is half-empty, although there is still water available for me, still God's love available for me. And then I talked about the idea of love languages, is in that we require people to pour into us one of the five love languages, and two primarily stand out for everybody, And that in this season of life, especially going into the winter where, you know, we feel the glass empty, half-empty feeling, we just really have to allow people to pour into us. But then I talked about the idea that some of us find ourselves in a place where we're just really just poured out and empty. And we just feel nothing when it comes to love, including God's love. Especially when Mondays hit, And for me particularly, after a message on Sunday, I reflect all afternoon going, did I hit the right spot? Did I make, God, did I try hard enough? 
Monday hits and I start preparing the next message and I want to do it all over again. And this Monday, I started reading James chapter 4. And I fall into a sadness trap sometimes that I can't get out of. And I feel fully empty. But then I realize I'll never be able to do this on myself, by myself. Verse 1 to 3 in this chapter is very interesting. It is the opposite of what Jesus wanted, particularly in his unity prayer. James, who is the brother of Jesus and one of the closest um, friends of Jesus, has this conversation around what causes fights and quarrels among you. I was reminded last night why I never liked playing church hockey. I won't go into details right now, but it wasn't fun last night. And that would just be an example of how we are human beings. And James is asking this question of a church. What causes fights and quarrels among you? That shouldn't be a question you ask church people. But it is. And the secular world looking into the church recognizes that and feels, I don't want to be part of that. And one of the conversations I had with my defense partner yesterday, he said to me, this is the exact reason people don't like playing church hockey. Now that's just the escalation of it all. But this is a question that James is asking, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And then in kind of a rhetorical way, James says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Oh, this is heavy. It really is heavy. So I'm going to try to kiss this conversation, keep it simple, and really point to really two words. We'll work on those words in just a second, but in verses 1 to 10, they, the church, are warned against worldliness. And Thomas Lee, in his general letters conversation, talks about this idea of this worldliness, and it showed its effects in the prayer life of its recipients. Something's happening within the church in this particular say that there's a disconnect. And somehow in the trying part, like we've talked about, they've removed God. And in light of the battles going on in Israel and Palestine in this moment, we must contextualize this. Conflict is conflict. No matter if it leads to hurt feelings or death. It's vague when James uses death here. Some scholars suggest the worst. James is writing at a time when the Jewish zealot movement was very influential. I'll go on to read what one scholar says about this. Perhaps then the best alternative is to take you kill in its normal literal sense. But as a... but as a hypothetical eventually rather than an actual occurrence. As we have seen, the tradition to which James is indebted often portrayed murder as the end product of envy. James is warning his readers about just where their envious desires might lead them if it was unchecked in time. James' readers are not yet killing each other, but fightings and wars are already among them. 
And if a covetous zeal goes on restrain, the danger of actual violence is real. When penetrating insight, then, James provides, or with penetrating insight, James provides us with a powerful analysis of the human conflict. Verbal, verbal argument, private violence, or national conflict, the cause of them all can be traced back to the wrongful lust to want more than we have, to be envious of and covet what others have, and whether it be their position or their possessions. So here's my original thoughts when I begin to read this. I can't do this. I want to. My prayer continued with God in this moment. I am confused what I really need to do with this passage of what to say, of what you need people to hear. <clears throat> so again, keeping it simple, let's go back to verse 1. Three things. They wanted to have their own way. They wanted to fulfill their own desires, and they were selfish. Verse 2 goes in the idea of covet, want to be better. They wanted to crave. Is this the idea? Again, going back to the original Ten Commandments, covet was one of the main ones. But let's jump to a word that I think is of particular importance in verse 4. Spiritual adulterers. Moichalides, this is, is this Greek word. It's a, it's a very interesting word. Another scholar kind of really dives into this. This word, spiritual adulterers, is actually speaking to in a feminine word. It's adulteresses. It's not actually speaking to the male population in this particular situation, which is very interesting. A little reading, reading would suggest that James is accusing his female readers of engaging in adulterous sexual activity. But this is unlikely. Nothing in the context would suggest such an accusation. And James goes on in verse 5 to 10 to castigate his readers quite generally. Douglas Moo goes on to say that the clue to the feminine form and to the accusation that James is making here is found in the Old Testament. The prophetic books. The prophets frequently compare the relationship between Yahweh and his people in a marriage relationship. Let's go back to Hosea for a second. Hosea, a prophet, very well looked upon, is asked by God to marry Gomer. Gomer potentially is a prostitute, if not really a promiscuous lady. And this is a vivid illustration of how the church, which is very feminized in Scripture, being the bride of Christ, treats its husband or spouse who is God. And so when James picks up this idea of spiritual adulteress or adulteress, he's saying to the church, you are treating God in a way that is very adulterous. Why? Because you're cheating on him with the world. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I think, Paul, you have it up there. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. This is your spiritual act of worship. It goes on to say that do not be conformed by the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you will know God's perfect and pleasing will for your life. 
That's the idea that Paul, James is trying to get on. And, and here's, here's some things that we need to begin to say. Is in my relationship with the most important person in my life physically, I would never treat her the way I treat God. I would never try to. But what James is saying, in, in your covetous nature, you are doing exactly what you don't want to be doing. You are trying on the wrong side. So how do we become spiritual adulterers? Well, let's go back to the love tank for a second. The love tank is really important to begin to think about here. Because again, our role in life as human beings is to fill other people's love tank. But unfortunately, we reverse it and we actually begin to expect other people to fill our love tank. Expect. This expectation leads to a slave relationship. To get what I want, I require other people to give it to me. And I really think that's what James is getting at. I want, and we learn this very early on as children. Nobody teaches a baby how to cry for the things they want, right? It's very human nature. It's that way. So going back to the love tank, we really create slave relationships from baby to toddler to child to teenager. We are never taught how to create slave relationships. It becomes very natural. I expect my parents to do this for me. And then worst of all, there are husbands and some wives who create this slave relationship with their spouse. And we transform that slave relationship into the same feeling we have with God. <clears throat> We've turned our cups upside down. And in turning our cups upside down, what happens is we place the burdens of this world on ourselves. And we do not allow God to pour into us. We expect other people to pour into us. And all along, especially this last two minutes, where I, last week where I've asked you to spend two minutes just reflecting on the love that God has for you, my question is how many of you actually did it? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but there's got to be a repentance here going, my pastor asked me to do something, and I didn't even bother doing it. Two minutes. Two minutes of really reflecting on God's love for you and the immense love that he has for you could be just boiled down to two minutes of allowing God to pour into you. But here's what happens. We try on our own. We've turned the cup upside down and said, I can do this on my own. And here's a couple things. Not just a couple things, but an instruction manual. I bought a deadbolt lock for my daughter's house up in Fredericton. She needed a deadbolt uh, to secure her house a little bit more, so we decided to buy one of those electronic ones. And pretty neat things. We got one at home. You just punch a key in, uh, punch the numbers in, and it opens your door for you. Well. Because I installed the one at my house, I figured I don't need to really read the instructions on the one for, for mailies. And you know, that would be the number one mistake any mail makes. I can do this on my own, right? So I begin to open up the box, take things out, start putting things together. I'm thinking I got this done in about five minutes. Got it done, five minutes. Five minutes in, it's all put together. 
it doesn't work. Oh, hey, Bailey, help me out. So we then begin to read through the instructions. Now, they're written, you guys know what I'm, I don't mean to say this in a negative way. Sometimes language translation from the manufacturer doesn't really make it into my brain properly. Grammar sometimes is mistakenly changed when the translation goes from one language to the next. And so partway through that, I'm really messed up in the instruction. Now, what was supposed to take me five minutes, just get to the bottom of the story, probably took an hour and made me say some words in my head that aren't Christian-like. All right, you're following me. James says these words. In, 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 in particularly, if you read through James chapter 4 and you begin reading post you adulterous people, he goes on to give us a list of 10 things, I believe like an instruction manual, and we try to follow them. First, surrender to God. Stand up to the devil. Move your heart closer and closer to him. Cleanse your life. Keep your heart pure. Stop doubting. Feel the pain of your sin. Be sorrowful. Weep. Stop joking around. Ten steps towards a godly life, I believe, away from the adulterous life that we're living. I try to fulfill all ten. And halfway through, I don't know where it's at, but I begin failing in it. And here's where the excitement came. I'm like, God, I really struggle in trying to meet all of these. Verse 10. James says these words. And I believe it's the, the, the culmination of it all. Almost like calling up a tradesperson and saying, can you fix this bolt lock for me? It really is like that. Like, it's really coming down. God, I can't do this. It's broken. My life is broken. I'm trying. And you just call up God. And here's verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord. And he will lift you up. But what we do as human beings is we try. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying. Trying, trying to fulfill all ten. I'm trying to surrender to God. I'm trying to stand with the devil. I'm trying to move my heart closer to closer. I'm trying to cleanse my life. I'm keeping my heart. You know, it's, 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 it's tough. It's tough. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. But again, here's the problem. We're kind of living an upside-down life. We put the weight of everything on our shoulders, <clears throat> turn the cup upside down, because, not allowing God to pour his love into us. And here's what God is trying to do the whole time. The whole time with us not listening, not responding, not humbling ourselves. We find ourselves in a place where God is pouring out his love, but it's never, ever actually entering into us. Do you feel like that from week to week? You know, that's a lot of God's love. I mean, God has a lot to give us. 
like a big bumblebee. Maybe it's mute computer, Jim. Oh, there you go. You got her. All right. God's love keeps pouring out. Keeps pouring out. And, and here's the problem is it never enters into us. We live a lifestyle that won't allow God to impact us. He's got plenty of love to surround us. But that's all it's really doing is surrounding us but never entering into us because we're trying on our own. You adulterous people, you try so hard on your own. You, you try to please me, but you never will unless you bring me into the conversation. James chapter 4, verse 7 to 10. I'm going to read from the message translation, and I'm going to get to the point. James chapter 4, verse 7 to 10. The message, it's up on the screen, I believe. Is it up there, Paul? I don't know if I got it up there, but listen along. So let God work his will in you. Hear that again? Let God work his will in you. Yell aloud, not to the devil, no to the devil, and watch him make himself scarce. Say a quiet yes to God, and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet. The Passion Translation, which has been the starting point for me as I wake up every morning, says these words from verse 4, for verse 10. Be willing, to made low, be willing to be made low before the Lord, and he will exalt you. the weight of the world on our shoulders. I'm trying hard. I'm trying hard without God, but yet God's love is not getting into me. What I think James is trying to say is take the burdens off and allow God to do something special in you. Remove the burden and God's love will pour in. Don't, and you'll continue to stay empty. It's the burdens of life, the I'm trying part, that we need to remove. We need just to allow God into the trying. That whole apostrophe thing. Let God in, and he will do what he needs to do. I invite the worship team up as we close with a song which really dictates the I am trying. Philippians verse two, chapter 2, verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. In humility, he served us. In humility, he took the burdens away from us. In serving. In serving us, he fulfilled his purpose. So, first week, two more minutes with scripture. Second week, two things that bring you joy. Third week, two minutes of silence. This week, I read a book title this week. It said, um, the five most humble people I've ever, or that ever existed, and how I met the other four. <laughs> humility is a difficult thing. But humility comes through service. This week, find two people and fill their cup. And you're going to fill their cup because of the two minutes that you spent with Jesus and allowing him to fill your cup. And take that cup and pour it out and fill someone else's. Two people this week. Two people. And surrender yourself to God in humility. Let's sing this one last song together.